The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. In this episode, we talk with Michael Drews. Michael Drews is an artist that works with sound, video, and live performance. His work explores our unconscious connection to genre, archetype, and sonic and visual memes. Drews is a member of the multimedia performance groups Big Robot and Mana 2. Performances of Drews' work have been featured at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, Music Acoustica Beijing, NYC Electronic Music Festival, Toronto International Electroacoustic Symposium, and throughout the United States and abroad. I've got an, an hour to work in my studio, and I spend uh, three-fourths of that time plugging guitars and connecting MIDI cables and... Troubleshooting. Troubleshooting, yes. And it's horrible. And then sometimes that leaves 10 minutes for doing something. Stuff comes up and you can never get around that troubleshooting thing. So that that's un unavoidable. Um, but what I mean about keeping it set up is I keep everything cabled all, all the time. Um, I'm doing a lot of performances. So a lot of times uh, all my stuff's packed up or in a big mess. So I, I try... I aspire <laughs> and sometimes fail to after the gig cable it all back up even though I don't I you know have no plans to work but when that um that moment when I get that time to go down there and work uh I don't want I don't want to be uh setting up keyboards and effects pe pedals so it's set up now hopefully if I've done that correctly there there'll be minimum amounts of uh troubleshooting but that that happens i feel the same way a lot of times when i'm creating with technology there's always this barrier there's a lot of mix engineers that actually talk about you know left brain right brain and getting some of the technical things out of the way like if you know you're going to use reverb or you know you're always going to have guitar on everything you do you know have that hooked up ahead of time so you said your studio should always be working right ideally so what, what is that what how do you define that like, what does that mean that it's working? Is the well, guitar... Okay, so for me, yeah. the things that are important are that I generally work in my studio every day from 60 to 90 minutes. That just seems to be what my natural uh, rhythm is. And then I have to go start making dinner and be into dad mode. So there's like a hard... There's usually a hard 
<laughs> yeah. A hard cut. Yeah. So for me, having things set up and ready to go is the most important thing. For example, uh, if I'm working on something, I'm like, oh, I'm go- I want to record a sound, and it would be perfect if it was a guitar sound. Now, I ha- th- if I have to go and cable up my amp and my effects things and tune the guitar, that's a super drag. So that just needs to be set and ready to go. Or if I want a particular s- synthesizer, that has to be just uh, you know patched into my interface, all ready to go. I don't, I don't want to have to... The tools need to be ready to go. So it's kind of like, you know, if it was a kitchen, I would have all my ingredients and spices right there. I don't have, I don't want to stop what I'm doing and have to go to the grocery store. And have you lost ideas because, you know, you start to cable something, you start to patch something, and it's like, wait, what was I doing again? Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely have lost ideas or lost momentum. And those are always the best ideas, right? You know, you're like, oh, if only, yeah. They they are, and you know you were mentioning the 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 barrier you know Mm -hmm. that uh, working with technology there's there there's a barrier where you know uh, well I have this idea and when I get the perfect microphone then I can record it or when I get the perfect situation uh, or I've made this recording now I'm going to try to go back and do it perfectly. For me, th- those are the things that, that's that's the bi- the barrier I, I try to be careful of. It's like no, uh, um, this isn't perfect, but but it's it's real. It's an authentic idea, and now it's time to move on, to move forward with that, rather than to try to per- perfect that so- somehow. When I listened to your music, I said, this is an electronic composer. Now, I know you don't explicitly describe yourself as a composer. And I know you use the term artist. And I think at some point we should talk a little bit about that, about the general idea of being someone who creates art. But the pieces that I have heard of yours, when I listened to them, I said, wow, this is somebody that has really spent a lot of time crafting and understanding how to present something in the electronic genre. How do you feel about that statement? How do you feel about the idea that uh, I just said that I think you are uh, an electronic composer? Are you going to throw a book at me? No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I have I have no uh, no problem with that a- at all uh, for many reasons. One is I I get really excited if someone's interested. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Beyond that, it's up to them to uh, f- fill in the gaps or to assign meaning or what this is or is this music? Is it not music? Is it art? Is it not? You, you know that that's something for other people. Uh, to do composer versus artist uh, terminology. 
that's something I wrestled with for 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 a, a long time. I mean, I do call myself a composer. I think on the website or in my bio, it says it says artist. But I guess I felt that saying composer really wasn't didn't accurately d- describe my work or what what my interests are with all, all the kinds of things that, that I was doing. There are huge long stretches where I'm not doing any music. I'm just working on visual ideas. Mm-hmm. Rendering um, video. Rendering, rendering video. <laughs> Especially that that space movie, yeah. yeah. Um, although there's no getting around, my training is in, sure. in background is is in is in music. Certainly that's uh, the strongest role I think in what I'm doing. There is something about the the term composer that bothers me too. That I, it's uh, you know I don't know if 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 I, if I should let this, but it it has to do with going to to grad school to get a composition degree and this, and to be in this world of uh, academic composition, mm. which I'm just not interested in sure. <laughs> in sure. any way. Sure. Um, and I don't, and I doesn't seem like very <laughs> that many other people are either. <laughs> it's not an um, uncommon opinion. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess you, t- you know, we talked about technology being a barrier. D- does the word composer feel like a barrier between you and a potential audience? Perhaps, yes. I mean, and certainly with, with working with people, I, I mm-hmm. think because the only things I could do would, would be, you know, music related. Sure. That being said, I mean, um, I don't really have a strong aversion to the word composer. My pieces since about 2010 or so usually start with being attracted to some kind of idea. Sometimes a sound source. Sometimes it's a, a piece of gear that that's generating that, that that sound source. Sometimes it's a visual idea. I can envision a, a film scene and I start making the the music around that image. Sometimes it's a drawing. I've even had times where it's it's just the it's the title. And then from there, I take whatever that is. And then I just try to experiment with it. I have it set up with my computer so that I can essentially perform with it in real time. So I can improvise, I can do different things with it and play with it. And I kind of start thinking about it almost as in a p- performance. Right now I'm doing that with uh, Ableton Live. Um, before that, uh, it was just Max. Mm-hmm. And I record all of these improvising development sessions. I probably generate uh, 
a, a couple recordings of, a, every day with, mm. with this stuff. Hopefully, I label them yeah, yeah. <laughs> coherently, and then I leave it alone. You know, think about it, make notes, and then the next day I come back to that recording, and then I start improvising on that audio file. And this goes on and on. So my process is is very referential. I'm taking some materials and making a real time performance with them, recording that. But then that file of that performance, now that's the new sound. And a lot of times I don't ever even go back to that original idea. It just becomes kind of baked into this file. I've thought about it often. It's like kind of making a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy. You know, it just keeps changing. One thing that would worry me is that, well, if I just keep making a copy of a copy, where's my progress? Am I halfway through the symphony? Am I, (sighs) is it the start? Is it the end? Yeah, and when that goes on for a few years, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, that's actually a really difficult kind of question. There does come a time where it's like, no, this is th- this is working the way I, I want it, and um, that's not the only process. There are times too where I, an- you know, I kind of analyze this kind of I- improvising, and I think, okay, well, uh, there's some structural things that need to ha- to happen. I, you know, I make more of a concrete frame around it and that I might just go in and kind of d- decide and put it in with sure logic or something like that or you've got some type of deadline coming up and you're like okay now this kind <laughs> of these experiments that I've been doing for months or days <laughs> or years now it has to fit into an 8 minute slot well that to- that's an excellent point uh, a lot of w- a heavy part of what I do is Live performance. That performance is when certain ideas are are, are done, and then they keep evolving. I'm working. That's really exciting because then it's like, oh, well, it, now it's performed, and you sort of brought it into the world, and now it's done. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's exciting, but it is, as you said, it's yeah. kind of maddening. There are times where I mean, usually, <laughs> what happens for me is I start this experimenting, and and, and it goes on and on, and I'm and, it, and I I really get a fantastic buzz for, for, from, sure. from doing that. Yeah. But it'll get to the point where I almost have this uh, fragmented brain <laughs> yeah. where I've got so many uh, leads of ideas I'm exploring. Sure. I'm trying to understand, like, am I getting anywhere? <laughs> yeah. yeah, What's yeah. going on? It's just a perpetual amount of, of, of stuff. Um, and then you get down, then you start going down that slippery slope of what is this meaningful? Why am I spending right. time every day doing this? What, uh, where am I going? Where, yeah. And, you know, this opens up the door to a, a lot of different techniques I use to have that freedom, but also to keep some anchor points and to keep myself centered. I make, uh, you know, kind of broad goals. These are some things I want to uh, accomplish. Uh, for example, I, a, a recent goal of mine. Was I wanted to create a thirty to forty minute live set uh, that I could do just by myself because um, I do collaborate with a, a lot of people quite often, and I wanted it to incorporate uh, my laptop performance uh, skills, uh, my guitar playing, and um, these cool new. Uh, Korg synth things I, that I recently purchased. So I wanted to to, uh, to tie that all in together, and I realized that through doing all these little spontaneous kind of creative things, that I'm making progress on this goal. And there is no like real finished point because it, it's kind of like a it, 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 lifestyle actually. Mm-hmm. That well, I'm going to create every day and I'm going to perform as much as I can. But there's no end point to that. 
Um, but after a certain amount of time goes by, you realize, wow, no, I've I've made tremendous proge- progress. Uh, when I started this, I I could only <laughs> do certain things. Now I can do a whole bunch of things. So speaking of, you know, synthesizers, you brought it up, and I've been real antsy to talk about your piece, uh, Pliskin. Yeah, that's the that's actually a very synth-driven one. Yeah, and and also a synth from a it feels like from a very particular time period yes. in, in in synth history, <laughs> uh, and then also related to film and cinema. There's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. So um, tell us, give us a, just a quick synopsis of what Pliskin is. You know what it's drawn from, where you're going with it. My aesthetic, you know, there's a there's a few, mar- you know, there's lots of influences, but there's some strong, a few strong mar- markers. One of them is 80s and 90s uh, horror and sci-fi movies. There's sure. just no way to to to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to get a- around yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so uh, so, and I love synthesizers. And in, in their connection to that, particularly uh, the music of uh, John Carpenter, sure, uh, all those great uh, ha- Halloween, Exca- Escape from from New York, uh, just amazing, um, minimalist, mm-hmm. iconic synth stuff, and I, I I just love that sound, and I'm always trying to reproduce it. So I recently purchased uh, a few of the the mini Korg Volca synths, mm-hmm. and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, because they're they're little time machines. Sure. <laughs> yeah. but basically, they're easy to use. Um, you can f- put them on an airplane very easily. Sure. <laughs> which yeah. is Without too many strange looks. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is super important to me. That to, yeah. uh, I do. I try not to carry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I spent enough time carrying stuff. Yeah. Um, so Pliskin uh, uh, was very much an experiment with getting that synth and tr- trying to make music w- with it. And right away, I was obviously trying to go for that John Carpenter s- sound. I mean, the title right. of it, Pliskin, refers to, of course, right. Snake Pliskin. Yes. Um, and uh, the, uh, the ultimate anti-hero. R- yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of the quintessential John Carpenter uh, musical ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, is often this idea of there's this running drone, or sometimes I, I, I refer to it often as the heartbeat. Yes. As this sort yes. of boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. And you're like, you know, this has been going on for about 20 minutes now. Uh, you know, so, you know, you're watching, like, even a movie like The Fog or something yeah. like that, where you have this consistent sort of 
dread or suspense that's be that that's happening. And that's also interesting too that you identify with John Carpenter because he's uh, he's always one that has he made the movie, but then he also always dabbles in the soundtrack. Right. And sometimes he has help. Sometimes he's doing it all himself. And this goes back to like what we're even talking about—the composer versus the artist. I think I'm really fascinated by those kind of people that it just doesn't matter. They're about creating something, and they just throw themselves at it on every level. Okay, so here you are. You've got these new toys, right? And or excuse me, new instruments, and you want to incorporate them into your process. So was that something that was really challenging or was it just as simple as literally plugging the USB or the the quarter inch into your system and and having it or experimenting like you do? I, I think it happened re- re- really fast. Pliskin was the very first time I'd ever used that particular a synthesizer in my music ever, mm-hmm. and I'm way better at uh, using it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I did that piece last year, and since since then I've done at least seven or eight, eight more more th- things uh, y- using that, if sure. not more. To me, that particular piece of gear was something that once you turn it on and you hear the sound of it, that there's no way to fail yeah. with, with yeah. this thing. <laughs> it, it is simply like you turn it on and it's like immediate coolness yeah so if you love synths and you love that sound then it takes you right there it takes it, you right exactly there. so i can't say that was difficult i mean it's always difficult you, you start finding the limitations of work, working w- with it sure like for that particular synth i got really stuck into uh well it's just going to have to be this constant pulse and sometimes it's difficult to, to make that arrive somewhere like i can take different layers and, and Put them together, but to to actually have that land on something. So, do those synths have arpeggiators on them, or how did that, you? How did you come? To... So, you were using the sounds of the synth, but you were using the DAW or live to actually trigger. Yes, uh, uh, I, I certainly run. I mean, to me, uh, yeah, that's where that synth really starts rocking. Is when you get when you start running that through a lot of the stuff in Ableton. In that piece, that has something else that's. Uh, pretty important. The idea of starting out with a guitar melody that I had recorded at some point. That guitar melody, I think I pitch shifted it and it actually creates some sense of harmonic progression in there. And then the synth does a lot of like the rhythmic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've made um, several different versions of that piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, I call them all Pliskin because they all basically have the same materials. Mm-hmm. The the Pliskin number two, I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's what I called it, uh, is the more John Carpenter-ish okay. one. There's another one that big robot plays that doesn't sure. have any of those pulses in there. Really? Okay. But it has a lot of like drum beats and stuff. Sure. So that's an important uh, part of uh, how that piece is put together. Special thanks to Michael Drews. For more information or to hear some of his music, visit The Noise Buffalo at blogspot.com. Join us next episode when we talk with composer and video artist Michael Drews. <laughs>